Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Mark Drake. Get out your Bibles, if you would, and why don't you just go ahead uh, so you'll already be there and turn to Isaiah 53. That'll save us a couple of minutes of time here in just a little bit. I want to talk about something that I shared uh, in this particular format, this particular outline on Easter of this year and uh, at, at another church. The, what I was meditating on coming up to Easter was the things that I've taught many times and we've, all of us who teach have taught on Easter and taught about the death and resurrection of Christ. But I was struck in the week leading up to it about all the different things that were accomplished by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I really felt my heart zero in on two specific things about the story of God. And the story of God that we get from the Bible can be summed up in extreme simplicity like this. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed and they have always been a family. A Father, a Son, and the Spirit that connected them. They've always been a family. But God, for whatever reason, who needed nothing, created within his own heart a desire for family. I can't find an explanation for that except God wanted one. So he spoke creation into existence. He created the first pair, the first couple, and gave them the free will choice to choose to be a part of his family. They chose to act on their own. From then till now, the entire story of God has been his reaching out to human beings across the planet, urging them, drawing them, inviting them to come back to him. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets there were constantly saying to the people, God loves you, to Israel, God married you, you're his wife, but you're chasing after other gods. I'm begging you to come back to the love and mercy of God. When Jesus comes, he is the ultimate of all time invitation, declaring God, who created you, wants you now to become his child. God created everybody, but God is not everybody's father. That requires a new birth. When we turn ownership of our life over to him, a miracle takes place. And many of you have heard me say or read my books in the past where I say, I get emails from people who say, when you start talking about the love of God and the mercy of God, it almost sounds like you're saying sin doesn't matter. I'm saying just the opposite. I'm saying that what God wants is for a miracle of transformation to begin the moment we turn the ownership of our life over to Jesus. A miracle starts. A miracle of metamorphosis. I saw a cartoon that I've incorporated into my master class in New Covenant Thinking, and it's a butterfly driving a car. Now, you've got to use your imagination, all right? This is a metaphor. But a, butter, a butterfly is driving a car, and apparently he's speeding or something because a policeman has pulled him over and asked for his license. 
So he pulled his license out, and the cops were looking at his license, but the picture is a picture of a caterpillar. And the butterfly says, that's an old picture. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, when he talks about the transformation that begins the moment you put your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and God's love for you. At that moment, a transformation starts in you, and the Greek word that Paul chose to use is metamorphosis. And kids learn that the first few year, years in school, that what happens to a caterpillar is that its DNA destiny is to turn into a gorgeous butterfly. And you, little caterpillar, corny, carnal person that you are, we are all in the process, if we belong to him, we are all in the process of metamorphosis. And that comes to us because of two things that took place through the death and resurrection of Jesus. One thing is a legal issue because God is completely just. But the second thing is a relational issue because God is also a father who is full of love, mercy, and compassion. So we have to deal with the legal issue first. Adam and Eve began this whole thing of, I'm going to make my own choices, going to be the Lord of my own life. That becomes the legal issue. God has every legal right of ownership over us, but he gave us free will. Now, if he didn't really want us to make a bad choice, he would have taken the tree in the garden that they weren't supposed to eat from and put it on the top of Mount Everest because two naked people are never going to climb up there and take that fruit. Compliments to Danny Silk. But that's not what he did. He put the tree right in the middle of the garden because love is only love when it's freely chosen. It cannot be forced. It's not love if it's forced. But this is what God has been doing. So all of this throughout the Old Testament leads up to this one moment where Jesus becomes the ultimate fulfillment of every sacrifice that has ever been offered for any reason to God. And he did it according to the, all of the apostolic writers defined by three words, once for all. Now this is important that we understand this because there is a tendency among passionate, sincere believers that when they sin, when they miss the mark, when they realize they have not acted in the character of Jesus, they feel ashamed and then they feel that they've got to beg God to take them back. As if Jesus has to die again every time we've messed it up, we got to somehow get our way back. That's not true. Now, I want you to watch this. We're going to read 1 Peter and see how Peter puts this. Peter says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And he did it for a specific reason. What is it? To bring you to God. Why? Because God wants you in his family. He wants his spiritual DNA to go to work, to go to metamorphosis inside of you. 
so that you will end up looking like his son forever. But to do that, the legal boundaries between our rebellion and being our own God or Lord and God's rulership over our life, the law that has been broken has to be dealt with. So the father sends the son. You know, sometimes people get the idea that Jesus really, really loves them, but the father's still ticked off at him. But the Bible teaches that it was the father's word to the son, will you do our will? And David prophesies in the Psalms that the son said, here I have come to do your will, O Lord. But all of the writers of the New Testament use these three words, once for all. And it's critical that we understand that. So that when we miss the mark, not if we miss the mark, but when we miss the mark, we will gladly run to him because we know he is the solution for our weakness. He is the power for our weakness. But we can only do that when we live free from shame. We can only do that when we live free from condemnation. First John says we either have condemnation or we have confidence with God. One or the other. And frequently we move from one to the other and then back to the other again. And the more we establish our belief system on what the Bible actually says about real life things, about God's feelings about us, the more we are able to stand in our confident place that God wants us to be in. Put up the list here. You're going to have to write these down. We don't have time to read them all. They all say something, and they all add something. So write these references down. It'll be a good, quick Bible study for you later on. But each one of these passages declares the truth that Christ died for the sins of the world once for all. But each one of these references then adds some other aspect of what that means. One of them ends by saying, and the result is, you and I have been made holy by the offering of his body once for all. We must get grounded in this truth. So when we miss the mark, we go to him rather than draw back from him. And then he's got to coax us, coax us, coax us back to him again. That's not what a father and son or daughter, that's not the way we should relate in this perfect family with God. And then we sum it up by Hebrews 10. And this is where the writer of Hebrews is talking about Christ by using a passage in the Psalms that was unbeknown to David at the time was actually a prophecy about the Christ when he comes. And he said, Christ, here I am to the Father. I have come to do your will. So he sets aside the first, the old covenant, and to, to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will, the will to lay aside the old covenant and the will to inaugurate the new covenant, we have been made holy. Through what? The sacrifice of the body of Jesus. How often? Once for all. And when we get grounded in that, then we will gladly become a quicker confessor. Now, when I say confess, I don't mean grovel, and neither does the Bible. 
Children should not have to come to their father to admit they were wrong and grovel and beg for his forgiveness. Rather, the scripture teaches that we should come boldly, Hebrews chapter 4. Now, that's the legal issue. Let's talk about the relational issue because God's understanding and desire in all of this is that he would have an ever-increasing family. In fact, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was able to endure the shame and the pain of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? Well, if you keep on reading, he tells us in that it would bring many children into the family of God. That was the reason Jesus was able to endure all he did, because he saw you. He wanted you in his family. And the only way that could happen was for the legal issue to be dealt with once for all. But now there's a relational aspect. You can legally be adopted in the natural, but that doesn't mean you're going to get along. There's a relational issue that we have to deal with. And at least in my mind and in my experience, I've found that there are three basic hardcore questions that I have to ask myself every time I mess up. And i got to be honest about that because my wife is here. And if I try to lie about how often I mess up, she is bold enough to share with you a different perspective. Because <laughs> she loves me. And she knows that unless I acknowledge I have messed it up, I can't get help. God can't deliver you from something that you keep saying you didn't do or that you blame on your wife. <laughs> well, God, if I just had a better wife, then I wouldn't act like this. You got a better wife than you deserve anyway, so straighten up. All right. Now, but there are three questions, and I want to deal with them quickly, but we have to, we have to settle this issue, and then we have to keep renewing our mind in it again and again and again because the accuser will keep trying to steal the truth the truthful answer of these two of these three questions question number one when i mess up when my weakness is exposed is god disappointed in me now there's two ways to answer this one way is with logic how long has god been alive forever he is the endless of days. He had no beginning. He has no end. Why? Because time is a created element. You can look in Genesis 1 at the exact moment where God created time. God lives above and beyond time. And after the resurrection, our bodies are like Jesus. We're going to live beyond time with God. I have no clue what that's going to be like, but it sure sounds cool. John didn't either. He said, we do not know what we're going to be. But this we do know. When we see him, we shall be like him. And he lives above and beyond time. So if a God, as David describes him in Psalm 139, before there was ever a day I lived in my life, you already knew them all. Before there was ever a word spoken from my mouth, you already knew them all. How could God be disappointed? 
See, we get disappointed because we're hoping for one outcome, but a different outcome comes, and we are disappointed because we were hoping that the appointed thing would be what we want. And when it's not, we are disappointed. But that's because we don't know the future. We're just hoping for the thing we think is good to happen. God doesn't set around hoping you're going to do right. He knows when you're not. But there's also a biblical answer. And we can find it, at least there's a lot of other places, but this is one. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 15. This high priest of ours understands, and you can literally translate this word as sympathizes. The New English Standard does do that. For this high priest of ours understands or sympathizes with our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, uh, so what? Or so why? So why? Because... We have a high priest who understands we are not nearly yet perfect. You know, sometimes one of the accusations that I get from very sincere people, so no need to get mad, I know they're sincere, but I get letters and emails from people who say, you know, Mark, I worry about your teaching and preaching because you don't, you, you, you have a low view of God's law. And my response is, listen, I believe that according to Jesus' words, the laws of God are so perfect that no human being but Jesus could have ever fulfilled it. No matter how hard you try, I have a very high view of God. The laws of God are so high that no self-effort on my part would ever enable me to fulfill them all. So... Sing it with me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You understand what that song is saying? Listen, I have the highest view of God's law that I can imagine. It is perfect. And that's exactly what David says over and over again in the Psalms. The law of the Lord is perfect. Well, that counts me out of the game right there. And you too. And those people who think, oh, no, 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 we're supposed to keep the law, they have a very low view of God's law. If they think they can do that, only Jesus could. So our hope is in him. But because we are not yet at that perfection, we will be, but not yet. Because of that, he understands when we miss the mark. He understands when we make a stupid choice. He cannot be disappointed in you. He cannot be. He chooses not to be. He chooses to understand exactly where you are in this journey. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it except believe. Philippians 1.6. He who started this work in you, he will finish it. We put our faith in our own self-effort. God has to run us out of that. We put our faith in him working inside of us. You know, I love the idea of Jeremiah 18 about going down to the potter's house and watching the potter work on the lump of clay. The clay has one job, one job, only one job. You know what it is? Stay on the wheel. 
As long as you're on the wheel, the expert potter can keep working you and working you, purifying you, shaping you until, according to Philipp, uh, Ephesians, one of Pastor Josh's favorite verses, we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created to do good works. But those good works only come as we keep submitting to the master who is making of us a masterpiece. The second question, I think, would be this. Well, if he's not disappointed when my weakness shows up, is he ashamed of me? I mean, surely he must be. After all Jesus has done for me, he must be ashamed of me when I fall short, when I sin. Well, let's read the Bible. That's a good idea, right? Hebrews 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy. Who is that? Jesus, by his Spirit, he's the one who makes people holy. Both him and those who are being made holy. Who's that? Us. He is holy, making us holy. We are not yet completely holy, but we're on the journey. And then it ends up by saying, because we both come from the same family or the same father, he is not what? Ashamed of us. He calls us his siblings. He calls us his brothers. Now, ladies, don't take offense at the gender reference. Because later on, men, we're going to have to learn how to act like the bride of Christ. This is not gender reference. It's familia reference. It's family. We are family with him in our weakness because we're on the journey. We're on the potter's wheel, but we've been born miraculously into his family. And because we are in his family, he is not ashamed of the fact that we're being made holy, but we're not yet completely holy. And for any of you that feel like you are now personally and your behavior completely holy, I'd really like to talk to you after the meeting. Now, actually, I'd like to talk to your spouse. So the third one would be this. Does he ever get angry with us? I mean, surely the Jesus who died to purchase us, surely he must get angry when we choose to do something stupid that's carnal. Surely he must. Well, surely he doesn't. If your name is Shirley, I'm talking to you. It, he doesn't. But if your name is not Shirley, I'm talking to you too. Now, there's lots of places we could go. We just don't have time. But I do want to, I want you to see one that I think should seal the deal for us. Isaiah 53, are you there? Isaiah 53, from start to finish, ev virtually Every Bible scholar who believes the Bible is the divine word of God, every scholar says Isaiah 53 is a prophetic declaration about Christ and his suffering on the cross, his death, and his resurrection. And that it is evidence of what the New Testament says, that the suffering Messiah took upon himself the sins of the whole world. And when he died, 
He paid the legal penalty. Every Bible scholar agrees. If they believe the Bible is the word of God, everyone does. And every Christian must believe that to become a Christian. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart, God raised Christ from the dead. That's in Isaiah 53. And then confess with your mouth that he is now your Lord. You shall be saved. But we have a dilemma. And the dilemma is that we tend subconsciously to stop at the end of a chapter. The chapter and verse breaks were not in the original documents. Those were added 1,200 years after Christ. Now, monks who were, who were scribing this by hand chose to add in chapters and verses to help us. So I don't have to say, go to Isaiah, it's a big book, but go maybe two-thirds or nine-fourteenths of the way through the book and look for these words. I can just say, go to chapter 53. Now I'm going to read just a few of them. I'm going to jump through quickly. Surely God took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We like sheep have all gone astray. Each one of us turned uh, his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jump down to verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Do you see the death of Jesus here? This is the death of Jesus that Isaiah is describing. But then it ends with, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. That's the way the chapter ends. The problem with me is that for many years, that's where I stopped reading. But the prophet speaking on God's behalf is still speaking. And the next three words in the next chapter, verse 1, are shout for joy. Over what? That God has laid the sins of us all upon his son. He bore them all so that we would eternally be free from the penalty of that. What should be our response? We should shout for joy. And then he goes on talking about a prophetic fulfillment that they quote in the New Testament about Gentiles, where he prophetically says, you who bore no children will be given children. Speaking about the Gentiles coming into Christ's body also. But if we keep reading down to verse 9, listen to these words. God is speaking. This to me is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Now, if I came here this morning and said, you know, in the middle of the night, an angel appeared in my bedroom. My wife didn't see it. She was sleeping. But the angel said, listen, this is the message you need to deliver to the people at your favorite church, Unite Church, tomorrow morning. Here's the message God wants you to deliver. The sins of America and the sins of the whole world have become so abhorrent to God, he has decided that his only option is to once again flood the earth and just rescue a few righteous people. What would you say to me? 
No. That's a lie. I don't know what popped up in your bedroom, but it was not a message from God. Why would we say that? Why? Why? All right, because God swore to Noah, never again, this way, right? What does he say? This is like the days of Noah when I swore to him. Now I swear to you. And let me put the context together. If you will believe what you read in Isaiah 53, if you will believe what the Messiah has done for you now that it is fulfilled, then believe this. I swear to you, I will never be angry with you again. There are no conditions in this. The only condition is that you believe the reality of Isaiah 53, and that makes you a part of his family. And because you're a part of his family, he swears he is never going to be angry with you again. He's going to lovingly deal with you, but it will never be out of anger. You're going to go through some rough times, but it will never be because God in heaven got mad at you and threw some lightning down to mess you up. You're going to make some terrible choices. All of us are going to do it. We're not immune from it. And we're going to have to pay a price. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. But it's temporal in this world. And it doesn't come because of God's anger. In fact, we need to be very careful about thinking about judgment on America because supposedly America has become so horrible. The Roman Empire was far, 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 far more horrible than America is. And speaking to the people in the Roman Empire, Peter wrote and said, some of you are considering that God is late because judgment has not come. But I tell you, it is the patience of God that he is withholding judgment because he desires that none should perish. He wants a few more to make it in the family. Do you understand what I'm saying? That was the Roman Empire who were legally slaughtering hundreds of thousands of believers, and it was within the law. But Peter understood God was being patient because he was wanting more people to hear the gospel. God is not acting out of his anger. There will be a final judgment. That final judgment will be giving people what they have chosen in this life. They get forever. You choose him in this life you get relationship with him forever. You don't want relationship with him in this life. He is not going to force it on you in that life. It's not that complicated. But here's the reality that you and I have to live in. When suffering times come, James says, consider it all joy. Because God is trying to work in you perseverance. He is not angry at you. You make a stupid mistake and bad things come. Ask for wisdom, James says. What should I do now? Confess it. You know what confession means? The average Christian mistakenly thinks that confessing their sins mean that they have to grovel before God and beg him. It's almost like Jesus has to die again. No, 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 no. Once for all. But when we recognize we were wrong, we should be as quickly as we can be a confessor. But what does it mean to confess? If you stole something, the cops pick you up and you confess, what are you doing? You agree, you did it. Jesus, that was me. 
I can't blame that on my wife. That was me. Until I do that, the Holy Spirit cannot change me. But because I'm overwhelmed by the fact that I know He's not disappointed in me. I know He is not ashamed of me. I know He's not angry at me. I can quickly and freely admit when I know I've missed it. Try to work relationally out whatever I can, how I've affected other people, but live in the knowledge that God is not ashamed of me, He's not disappointed in me, and He's not angry at me. What He is wanting me to do is simply live in the truth. And when I blow it, I need to admit it's the truth. And so I say, oh, Jesus, that was me. Nobody else to blame. That was me. But I'm so thankful that you have already paid for the eternal penalty for that. And I'm so glad you're living inside of me, changing me, because I don't want to stay like this. I don't want to keep doing this kind of stuff. So I'm trusting he who's living inside of me. Would you stand up with me for a moment? You know, this would be an absolutely perfect moment. If you've never turned over the ownership of your life to Jesus, this would be a perfect moment for you. Because if you desire to become the Father's child, you can be guaranteed on the Word, not because I say it, not because Pastor Josh says it, but because the Word of God says. He'll never be ashamed of you. He'll never be disappointed. And He will never treat you out of anger. Never. But for us to enjoy that benefit, we have to get in His family. And this is how you do that. Paul said in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart today, that God did indeed raise Jesus from the dead once for all so our sins have been taken care of. And if you are willing to say to him, I'm not sure what this is all going to mean in the future, but at this moment in my life, I want to turn over ownership of me and give it to you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I don't even understand what that's all going to mean but I want to do what my heart, my mind is telling me to do. That this is the right choice. You should bow your head. Close your eyes because I want this to be very personal. I don't want there to be any embarrassment or hesitation. Just, just, just very personal right now. If you're one of those, you're here today, you, you say in your heart, I, I want to give up the ownership of my life. I, I want to somehow be, be adopted into God's family and begin a journey of learning to live life that comes from Him. If that's you, would you raise your hand so that I can pray here for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put it down. Thank you. Listen, you're making a great choice. I mean, this is, this is, this is, what, this is what you actually created for, is to come into His family. And you can do that today, right now. Anybody else? Anybody else? We're gonna, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. We're going to pray. Now, those of you that raise your hand or those of you that this is a new experience and it feels uncomfortable, I really can identify with that. I understand that. But if you're making that choice today to say, I want to turn over ownership of my life to you, and I thank you that God raised you from the dead to, com 
complete the payment for my sin. Then you pray this in your own heart, in your own way. And a miracle, I guarantee you, if you do this and you mean it, a miracle is going to begin in you. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that in spite of the choices I've made to live life the way I want to live it and the messes that I've made because of those choices, I am so grateful that you still say you love me and that you are inviting me to come to you and you want to do a miracle in me that will cause me to become a part of your family. You will forgive me and you will also come by your spirit to somehow live inside me. If you pray along those lines and you mean it, I'm telling you on the basis of the word of God, a miracle is starting in you right this moment. We're going to go on to a couple of things in our worship just for a few more minutes. But when we're done, I beg you, do not leave the building until you come up front to some of our friends who are going to be here. They want to talk to you just very briefly. They want to pray with you and help you get started on this brand new way of living that is actually your eternal destiny with God the Father. And I thank you for listening this morning. You are an awesome group to speak with. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.